Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Thank you. I, I love when we are able to see new people join the ranks of our church this way, and uh, it's always so encouraging for me. I want to thank the ninja who brought this music stand up. I didn't even notice it happening, and I looked up and it's, it's right here, so... I don't know who that was. Did you guys, was it Jacob? You guys saw him? I don't know how I missed it completely. I just looked up and there it was. It's been observed that uh, the church exists in two forms. And lately we've been reviewing this basic idea of what it means to be a disciple and to make disciples. I now want to pivot a little bit and explore the essence of what it means to be the church. Because these are basic concepts which are getting lost today, and if we don't reclaim them, I think we're going to lose sight of why we gather at all. Who are we in this world? Who are we to one another? The church exists in two forms. The church exists as the church gathered, and that is whenever we come together, two or more of us in Jesus' name, we are the church together. But we are also, as very, as very much the same, we are the church when we're scattered. When after we have met together, God scatters us into the various nooks and crannies of the world where he has planted each of us. And that's a really powerful idea, uh, that we're the church even when we're scattered, because each one of us will carry this God who lives with us and in us into places where none of the other folks at our church are going to go. I pretty much, I feel like sometimes as a pastor, I live in this little cave, and then you all visit my cave for a couple hours a week, and then you return to the world out there, I'm like, I'm still in the cave. So you occupy spaces in God's world that I cannot have access to, I will never get to. And I think that's a powerful notion. Today, I want to focus on what it means to be the church gathered And then in future weeks, I want to explore together a little more what it means to be the church when we're scattered all over the place. I'm especially indebted to my friend John Kim, who serves right now as the executive pastor at Restoration Community Church in Naperville. He sparked the exploration of these ideas in my mind, and I've been really enjoying thinking about these expressions of the church. And one of the things they say at RCC is they throw around the numbers 10-110. 10, 110. That is, you might spend 10 hours in the church, but you will spend 110 of your waking hours outside. In all those places, in all those 120 hours, we never cease to be the church of God in this world. But 10 of those hours are spent as the church gathered, and 110 of those hours are spent as the church scattered. In all of those settings, who we are is first and foremost defined by being part of the body and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Are you with me so far? Do me a favor, even if you're wearing a mask, just smile at me. Let me know you're here. Thank you. I want to explore what it means for us to be the church gathered, and this is an important topic because it's something that is slipping slowly away from our collective understanding as a church. And I'm not just talking about harvest in in particular, but the church in general, we're losing our grip on what it means to be the church together. 
I'm going to make two points today, two important things that are meant to happen when we gather as a church. These are not the only two things, but these are two things that are very much uh, things that are on my heart that God has pressed on me for our church. And the first is that we gather to worship God. And I know some of you think this guy has zero imagination or intelligence. Like, it's so simple, right? But it's really important we get this. Because there are so many horizontal benefits to gathering. By horizontal, I mean the relationships between human beings. There are so many good things that happen when we gather as human beings with or without God. It's a good thing to live in community. God made us to be social beings, and so we are created for community. That's why even in a place as awful as prison, you think prison is a bad punishment. There's something worse than prison. Inside a prison, if you misbehave, what do they do? They put you in solitary confinement. As if prison isn't bad enough, prison on steroids is being made to live alone. That speaks to how deeply God has wired us as social beings, as people of community. And so there is a deep need in us not to be in isolation, but to walk together. That's why we love when there's any good reason to throw a party. We celebrate milestones together. How many would rather be alone on your birthday versus with people you love? You don't have to raise your hand. Okay, but it's not going to be the majority of this room. And if you saw everybody else getting a birthday party and you're the only one who we said to you, happy birthday, be alone, you feel sad. I, I go to Super Bowl parties every single year. And whenever I'm at a Super Bowl party, I look around and notice that at least half the people there don't even watch the game. They don't even like football. That's how deeply we're driven to seek the community of others, to want to be together. So there are so many horizontal benefits of gathering because of the way that God has made human beings. But when we gather together as the church, this is so important. The first and most important relationship we are here to build is the vertical one that we have with God. It's easy to make church primarily about other people, and it's, it, it is about other people. We gather because we're gathering together, and I don't want to make light of that, but we should not ever gather and celebrate the horizontal relationships in a way that eclipses the vertical relationship we have with God. We gather to worship, and by that word worship, I don't just mean the religious activities of praying and singing and giving and listening. We do those things every seven days here at Harvest, but that's, that's, worship is not confined to those religious activities. Those religious activities are, are aimed at producing something in us. And that something is this. We gather to worship so that God in this communal setting rightfully takes his place at the center of our lives. We're here each week to worship God in a way that says to us as the people who follow Jesus that you are not just a peripheral being in my life. You are central to me. I don't just name you on the census form as the head of my religion, but you are meant to be king of kings and lord of lords in my life. 
When we gather as a church, that is one of the first things, the most important things that happens every Sunday, is we gather first before God and then with one another. There's this beautiful passage that I've preached from in the past, from Revelation 4. It records a vision that the Apostle John had. And John had a very special relationship with Jesus when Jesus was on the earth. They were very close friends. And John is granted a vision of heaven. And it describes this glorious cavernous throne room. And there are many, many beings. Everyone who has ever known and trusted and belonged to God is in that room. And alongside of them are a hundred million angels. And in this ginormous room, everything is situated in a circle. And at the center of it is a throne encrusted with jewels, and on the throne in this vision is God seated in the middle of everything. And the focus and attention of every being in this room is on the one seated at the center. And God is there to receive worship from those whom he has created and redeemed. At the innermost circle of this room are special beings who are at the the closest ring of intimacy to God, And they signal the beginning of this worship by removing the crowns from their own heads and laying them before the feet of God. And they say this, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. I don't know if it's that I've I'm gone past the 50-year mark, but, you know, that saying over the hill, I think I've crested the hill. Um, I'm past the halfway point of my life. So I feel like the rest of my journey on this earth is a journey towards returning to the one who made me. And as a result of that, I feel like more and more of my conceptions of my Christian faith are not primarily about people, but about this God that I feel I was, I've been serving all my life, I'm coming to realize that I don't know him as deeply as I thought I did. I'm fascinated by him. I'm obsessed with him. I want to see him and know him. He is becoming more and more important. And I don't know if that's happened to some of you other folks at our church who are also with me, enjoying the ride down the other side of that hill. But we're returning to him And I think more about him than I have before. I didn't realize how much of my ministry was primarily lived out and done in the horizontal level. And how easy it is to lose grip on this being who sits at the center of it all. I don't think the goal is to pit our horizontal relationships against the vertical relationship with God. Both are exceedingly important. I don't want to be a part of a faith that is only about people and has nothing to do with God, but I also don't want to be part of a faith that has everything to do with God and nothing to do with people. You can't pit the two against each other, but the church gathered is probably the main setting in all of our lives where we make much of that vertical relationship with God. I know we try in our own individual lives to connect to God, and it's possible to do that, But when we gather together, there is an intentionality, a focus here, where probably unlike any other setting in our lives, God is central. 
He is made much of. We focus on him. We think of him. We sing to him in this place and in places like small groups or when our teams meet where we make much of God when we're the church gathered. And so that's one of the important things that happens is whenever we gather as a church, we reinforce this truth that the reason we've gathered is that there is this being at the center of our life together who is supremely important over each of us and over all of us. And if we lose that vertical connection, the reasons for staying together become thinner and thinner. Have you noticed that? How like when you're on campus and you live in the same section of campus and it's really easy to run into each other at the cafeteria, dining hall, whatever, every day, it's easy to be friends. And it doesn't really matter because proximity, convenience, that's holding you together. But then you graduate, you move on, you have busy lives, you pick up spouses and children. Think about how much harder it is and how thin the connection between you and your friends becomes in the years after that. I think that's the nature of it is when the powerful thing that bonds you with other people starts to weaken, you look at it and go, how much do I really want to be around you anyway? When you think that, when you believe that, when you do that, I don't want to be in the same tribe as you. What holds us together as a church is not our agreement on key issues. What holds us together as a church is not our identification as partners in this organization. It is our shared collective relationship with God at the center of our lives That is what we all have in common. Beyond that, we are as different as could be on so many things. And that's why when that vertical relationship with God isn't deeply held by each of us, the horizontal bonds that connect us become thinner and thinner, more fragile by the passing day. And I'm seeing this happen in the church all over America. That people are willing to walk away from each other over a policy stance over an opinion, over an action, over one slight, one offense, because the bonds that connect us to each other are so fragile and tenuous, we say there are a million things that could break the deal between us. If you go there, it's game over. I'm done. I'm not suggesting that if we have a strong relationship with God, we will stay together till we're we're dead, but what I'm saying is that the strength of us together is the strength of us together with God and then with us together with one another. But it's also possible to want to connect deeply with God, but not with other people. There's a growing trend in Christianity today of individualization and privatization of faith. It's kind of hard to say, privatization of faith. People reason today more and more that I really want to connect to God, but I don't really need other people to do that. And because of COVID, nearly every church has developed some sort of online broadcast so that even congregational worship can be done without the congregation in the comfort of your own home. This is no slight to you folks on live stream, but I'm telling you, it's become a legitimate option that if you want to worship God with the church, but without the church, you can do that now anywhere. You can participate in the worship service of nearly every church in the United States that still exists. And yet, there is something powerful, I would even say essential, about being together in order to be the embodied church of Jesus Christ. It makes little sense to me that we can attempt in the long run to be the church together and not be together. 
And so I want to challenge those of us and those in our lives outside who are hungry for God but not particularly interested in people, that that is also one of the the powerful things that is meant to happen when we gather to worship, is that in worshiping God together, the bonds between us grow ever stronger. The writer of Hebrews records in 1025 such a familiar verse, but look at it closely. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his returning is drawing near. Even from the earliest days of the Christian movement, there were people who wanted to approach God, but do it without other people. For whatever reason, and they had their reasons. I don't think this is an arbitrary thing. They had their reasons for not wanting to be together as the church, and yet still wanting to pursue God. And yet, despite the reasons that they had, the writer of Hebrews is unflinching in saying, let's not join them in that thinking. Because getting together matters. And one of the reasons it matters is because our presence and our absence has a profound non-neutral effect on the people around us. When we are together with each other, our faith affects the faith of other people. It's undeniable. Do you remember during COVID when you watched the football games? I was shocked to hear the noise of the football games, but the the stands were all empty. They put that noise in there artificially because it's freaky to watch these guys play in silence. There is something about the energy of other people pursuing the same thing that has a profound effect on the human heart, the way God has made us. It's kind of comforting to know that from the earliest days of the faith, there were people who decided to opt out. But God's word is so clear. Meeting together matters because we have a profound effect on each other. Whether it's a church service or a small group or a team meeting or just an accountability group, whatever it is, every time we gather as a church, it's not just some arbitrary uh, test of your commitment. Some church cultures make it that way. You weren't here. That means you don't love God. It's nothing that shallow here at Harvest. These gatherings are not just arbitrary tests of who's in and who's out. They are opportunities for us to impact each other's faith through our presence or our absence. You have all the freedom in the world not to be together when we gather. But just know that your absence is not neutral. It is felt. Because we are one body, and when one piece is missing, we feel that. You can't not feel it. Because each one of us is vitally important to this church being a functioning, healthy body. Your presence and your absence is not neutral. It has a tremendous effect on the faith of those people around you. And so we worship God together. We gather to make much of God, and in doing so, it forms a tighter bond between us The second part is just as important, and I hope this will help you be unlocked, unleashed, to have dialogue with me about what you're hearing. Because I, I, I look at the faces while I'm preaching. I, I know you think I see just 150 pixels, but I'm tracking all the faces, and I could tell on any given Sunday when half don't agree or half are like, what the heck is that guy talking about? I feel it. I see it. 
I hope instead of just going, that dude's crazy, I got to find another church. I want us to talk together about these things. I want there to be real dialogue at our church as we wrestle through like, what was it that you were saying on Sunday? Because it's kind of weird to me. The second point is that we gather to understand God. We first gather together because in community, we make much of God. But then we also gather together because the diversity of our perspectives is needed for us as a church family to understand God, his heart, his words, his mind, his will. It cannot be understood by one person. It cannot even be understood by a small group of people. The church together in dialogue grows in its understanding of God. Here's what I believe. God and his word are unchanging, but this world is ever changing. It's changed more in the last three years than in all the preceding years of my life. I'm left now in the year 2022, like genuinely struggling to understand what it means to lead a church in this day and age. I've never been this confused about things. I've never seen the church so scattered in a bad way, so fractured as a society. It's really challenging to discern what God wants from us in this ever-changing, fluid, complex world. I find a great lesson for us in something recorded in Acts 15. The Christian movement began as an offshoot of the Jewish faith. But as Paul and Barnabas and a small team of missionaries went about 500 miles away from Jerusalem to a city in what is now modern-day Turkey called Antioch, they experienced something unusual. Up to that point, only Jewish people were hearing this message and saying, you mean Jesus is our long-awaited Messiah? And they would become Christians, so the early Christians were all Jewish converts to this new Messiah. But when Paul and Barnabas and their team went to Antioch, non-Jews started listening, and they wanted in as well. And so Paul and Barnabas, joyful over this development, said, come on in, the water's fine, and the party's great. And so all these Gentiles become Christians. But then some in the church in Antioch started asking this question, wait, hold on, time out. Don't these people need to be circumcised? They didn't even start as Jews. Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? A very valid question. Every last one of us was a Jew first, and then we became a Christian. Why are these dudes skipping line and going straight to Christian? Let's make them Jews first, and then they should become. Because it was kind of a way of saying, this is tribal, it's ownership. We want this thing to be our thing. Why are these outsiders trying to horn in? And so they created a debate, and it's actually a very valid debate. It's sort of a a foregone conclusion now, because we live in the aftermath of the decision. But at the time, it was ripping things apart. It was a very heated issue. No one was neutral in their opinion about it. And finally, when they could not contain the conflict in Antioch, the leaders there said, why don't we go ask the other leaders in Jerusalem? These are the guys who became the the center, the headquarters of the global spreading Christian movement. Many of the original 12 disciples were part of that council in Jerusalem, leading the, the scattered church from that central place. And so Paul and Barnabas... So Paul and Barnabas and a small team of others travel the 500 miles from Antioch to Jerusalem to have a conference with these other leaders and the believers who are gathered in Jerusalem. 
And that's all recorded for us in, in Acts chapter 15. And I want to show you some selected verses from that chapter. Not so much focus on the specific context of this decision or this debate, but look at the process of how it unfolds. Verse 5a says, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, blah, blah, blah. A couple verses later, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, if you've ever been an elder, you know that, that those two words, much debate, equates to like hours and hours and hours and hours of talking and listening. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said, verse 12a, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about. Verse 13, when they finished, when they finished, I love that. It's so important. Let the dude finish talking. Listen. Shh. When they finished, James spoke up. Verse 19. James speaking here. It is my judgment, therefore, that... And then verse 22. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided. That is beautiful to me. It is a picture of a church, each member together, contending, wrestling to understand, this is a new situation. We don't have a playbook for this. Everyone has strong feelings, opinions, perspectives, but we don't exactly know what God wants for us in this. Every one of us has a horse in this race. We have an agenda. We know how we'd like it to end, but we are all gathered together trying to figure this out because this ever-changing world keeps throwing new things at us that force us to understand and seek out God's will for us. It is rare, I would even say impossible, for any gathering of people to see eye to eye on everything. Can I get an amen? In your own relationships with family, do you see eye to eye on everything? At Thanksgiving in your family, is it safe to bring up politics? Oh, that's insanity. Because even in people who are bound by DNA and blood, we don't see eye to eye on everything. I don't think it's possible for any gathering of human beings to be in perfect agreement on every issue. And yet, a changing world raises new questions, and the church, in its diversity of perspectives, has to understand God's will in this complex world. The truth is, our diversity of perspectives is, a, is not a barrier, it's a blessing. I don't want Harvest ever to be an echo chamber or a place where our main goal is to indoctrinate people into one monolithic way of thinking about everything. Because the truth is, while God's word is unchanging, the world around us is shifting constantly. And we have to be nimble in understanding, what, what, how do, on earth do we make sense of this in a way that honors God? Our world is full of issues that require understanding to navigate. Things that the Bible isn't so black and white, cut and dried on how to understand. You might think so, but I've heard people genuinely intelligent, educated, thoughtful, earnest people argue opposite sides of every one of these issues, citing scripture as their source. That proves to me that there are no easy answers we have to wrestle together. Think about issues, hot button issues like, like abortion. 
gender identity, sexuality. I heard a whole podcast of Christians fiercely debating student loan forgiveness. Like, wow, you guys could fill up an hour and 10 minutes as Christians debate. And I was fascinated listening to this whole thing. I'm like, yeah, you could fill up an hour and 10 minutes arguing for and against student loan forgiveness. Race relations, new medical technologies and genetic interventions, artificial intelligence, immigration, the list goes on. There are so many things where it doesn't just say in Scripture, and God said blah, blah, blah. Think about how important the Internet is to us and how it didn't even exist as a concept in the days where Scripture was written. We have to navigate a fluid, ever-changing world in the presence of a God whose character and word are unchanging. And somehow we have to bring those things together. The goal here is not to move the church left or right, but move it up towards God's perspective on these things and then out towards the world so that we can legitimately be a voice and force for God in a complex world. If your goal is to make the church more Republican or more Democrat, more conservative, more liberal, you're going to be awfully disappointed because that is not our goal here. I want all those perspectives to be part of this stew that we're jumbling around, wrestling with each other. But our first tribe is not a political platform, although where we land has political and policy implications. Our tribe is the kingdom of God. Our first concern is what God has to say on anything. And so I believe it's possible for these things that could potentially rip us apart to be opportunities for us to truly be the church, to gather in our diversity of perspectives and voices so that in this conversation, together we might discern what God is saying to his church in a complex, ever-changing world. The key for this working is that we have to share the same start and end point. The shared starting point is this, that what God has to say matters supremely to each one of us. We live in an age of discipleship by cable news. We live in an age where people, especially young people, turn to TikTok to learn anything. They don't even use Google anymore. You want to know how to do anything or want to know what's true or what I'm supposed to believe, they turn to social media. If we don't share this foundation, that what God has to say to us matters supremely, we're just another place where we're going to get into a bar fight. <laughs> where people will take turns shouting and reacting rather than speaking and listening to one another. None of us has an, a monopoly on the truth. We need each other to discern our way to what God is saying to his church in this complex world. I know some of you are wired in such a way, maybe it's your Enneagram number, maybe it's your disc profile, but you are a black and white, that's it. Why are we even talking about this kind of person? Calm down. Yes, God's word is absolutely true. But we have to navigate that world in a diverse world full of people who are wired very differently. And our goal is not to stomp on everyone who doesn't see it our way. It's to come to a common understanding because all of us in our diversity are the people of God. Your voice cannot remain silent because your perspective adds to the richness of how we hear and discern what God is saying. The end point also has to be the same. 
that whether it agrees with my perspective or not, if we together discern what God is saying, whatever the cost, we will land in the place that God has told us to land. We will represent that point of view in our policy, in our interactions, in our business dealings, in our relationships, that we will be in this world, not the people of Fox News or the people of CNN, not the people of the donkey or the elephant, but we will be the people of the kingdom of God. That is who we will be unflinchingly. And if it's messy in how we arrive at those conclusions, let it be messy. That's great. At least I trust all of you. I love all of you. If I'm going to have debates about anything, let it be here in our house. Let's wrestle through these things together rather than being afraid of trigger words and not saying things because someone might up and leave our church in offense. That's bound to happen. There's nothing I can do to prevent that. But I want our church to be an open place of dialogue because the world is getting very difficult to navigate if you belong to Jesus. And I want to figure that out together. If our deepest loyalty is with God and his kingdom, then I think it's very possible for us to process all of these volatile issues in open conversation. I don't think any one of us is going to like perfectly where we land on everything. I already know for a fact I'm going to be intensely uncomfortable in where we land as a church on lots of things. But this is not my private business here. This is not my street gang. It's not up to me to decide for our whole church what is true and what is not true. God has deposited his spirit in every one of you who knows Jesus. What I ask of you is to bring God in you to the table don't bring some outside voice and quote this person or that person. It's okay to have views that are shaped by the outside world, but primarily wrestle in this house together to understand what God, our Savior, our Creator, is saying to us about life in this complex world. For the last quarter of a century, I've lived this out with a group of five other pastors who are some of my closest friends. Look at these goofy-looking dudes. I've met with these men in a different city every single year for the last 27 years. The one on the far left is my younger brother, Steve, pastor of ICC, when he was twice the man he is today. Pastor Peter Kim I met in 1974. We've been blood brothers, literally cut ourselves and shook hands and like, been blood brothers since 74. These other guys, I, I've known them since I was a teenager. And we've walked together. We got saved together. We became pastors together. And I can tell you right now, we do not see eye to eye on everything. But what we do, because we know this for sure, I love these men, and I know that each of us loves God deeply and loves the church. I personally think some of them are crazy in the stuff they believe, but here's the beauty of it. We tackle the most volatile issues shaping the church together. We find a city that has good food. We get together. We reconnect. We share our lives. We catch up. We eat like pigs. And we tackle some subject that we're afraid to talk about. And we go at it. We roll up our sleeves. And man, we get red in the face. We sweat. We read hundreds of pages before we come together. And we are duking it out. But here's the beauty of this. 
because I trust that these men love God and love me, I feel safe disagreeing with them very vigorously. And I can tell you that the most important theological evolutions of my life are a result of duking it out with these brothers. We call our group Kadad. I should say it right. Kadad. That's the Hebrew word that appears in Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Kadad is the Hebrew word for sharpen. And that's exactly what God has done through this group in my life. We sharpen each other. And when iron sharpens iron, as the image shows, sparks fly, man. If you do it in a flammable place, you're going to have big problems. But if you do it in a safe place, the result is beautiful. Here's my great blessing. Not only have I enjoyed that with six, with five other guys in a different city in the world somewhere. But over the last 27 years, I've enjoyed the same dynamic here at home with my team of elders and staff. We don't always see eye to eye. Elders, can I get an amen? We're wrestling through some stuff right now. We're like, uh, I'm not there yet, bro. <laughs> Convince me, help me get there. And because I trust the foundation on which we, sh- we stand together, I deeply believe that these men and women love Jesus, love his church. We're free to vigorously debate everything until we somehow come together to a shared understanding of God for a complex world. What a gift it's been to serve in a place where I'm surrounded not by adversaries I'm fighting against, but by allies with whom I am fighting together for one another and to try to make sense of this unchanging God in an ever-shifting world. I'm so thankful that's been my privilege for the entirety of my ministry here at Harvest. But this is not just the domain of leaders and pastors. I'm coming to appreciate more and more that the entire congregation is needed for a church to understand God. And because you live in places I'll never go, your perspective is like gold. You bring something to the table that no one else does. I think about some of you who share with me screenshots and short text messages from within your work context, and I think the thing you live in every day is another planet to me. That's shaping everything about you, your theology, your relationships, your mindset, your politics, and I so badly want to hear your perspective when we're trying to understand God in this world. So I invite you, whether it is a Sunday sermon or a small group discussion or just any time we gather as a church, that's an opportunity for you to speak up and speak into our common quest to understand God. Please bring your unique perspective to the table. Just remember that we are not enemies with each other. We're working together to sharpen and understand how to follow Jesus in a world that is becoming more and more unrecognizable and unpredictable. I don't want to be a church where we're afraid to tackle things. But I also don't want to create sparks in a room where we store gasoline. I'm not a moron. So I ask you, 
not to be soft, but to be safe. Not to be a pushover, but to not see your brothers and sisters as the enemy. We have to become allies in our common quest to know and behold and follow Jesus. This would be an exceedingly good place to say amen together. Amen. Thank you. Church, we gather, and it matters that we gather. And when we gather, we're going to make much of God. And then we're going to lower our masks, metaphorically, (laughs) to tell the truth to each other about how we see it, what we're seeing in the world. And we're going to try together to make sense of this world and our place in it as the people of God. Can we covenant together to do that? Why don't we bow together in prayer? I'd like to give you a moment to reflect on where in your life these particular ideas have met you. You are not a threat to this church. You're not a danger to this church. Even if you have nothing in common with the others here, what you bring and what you have to say, you as a person is part of the splendor of the church. And God is going to help us understand him when we together seek him as a body. So would you respond to him where you are right now? want to remind us as a church that our Christian movement is not held together by an ideology or belief system alone. But we are a movement held together by a living being. And it is our shared adoration and worship of this being that will hold us together volatile times would you if you are a follower of Jesus in this room would you please at this moment just surrender any other tribe which has become more important to you than the tribe of Jesus we will explore the church scattered we are not meant to huddle in here and hide but first let's establish this we are God's people And if you are a Christ follower, would you please just today recommit your heart to him and say, you matter most. You are my first layer of identity. You are my tribe. And I'm going to navigate this crazy world with you, for you.
pray together. God, as a church, we want to just confess that we feel so overwhelmed in our complicated and fractured world. Even the people that we consider closest to us have views that are unrecognizable to our own convictions. And so we pray that you would set our hearts firmly anchored to this goal, that we will seek to know you and understand you in a world that makes very little sense. We will not indoctrinate at this church, but we will investigate you. We will seek after you. We will walk together towards you. So bless us as we set the table for conversations that could be dangerous. We ask, Lord, that you would give us a heart where you are clearly our foundation. We also pray, Lord, in a world that is harder and harder to see you, that you will renew our commitment to gather as the church. Our small groups, our teams, our Sunday services, our events, we will gather as your people. And in that gathering, we will behold you, our great and mighty God. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.